keeping in mind what we've been covering over the last number of weeks, the shape of the liturgy, I want to remind us of what we're talking about. In the beginning of our Sunday school program here, one of the things that I read to you was a couple of paragraphs from Father Alexander Schmemann on the Mass, on the Divine Liturgy. And he gives us that this is the shape of the liturgy. Okay? Doesn't matter what liturgy is being used. St. Tikhon, St. Gregory, St. John Chrysostom, the liturgy of St. Basil in the Orthodox Church, they all follow the same shape. And it's the shape of the mountain. God coming to meet with his people, his people coming, preparing themselves to meet with God, making the ascension to be with him, being graced to do so, going back in their descent from their time with God to offer the world the life of God in Jesus Christ that they've been granted in the Mass. And for the last couple of weeks, we've been dealing with this preparation stage, and we are still there today. And if you remember last week, we reflected on our responsibility and calling by God to consecrate ourselves, not just prepare ourselves. The idea of consecrating ourselves to come and meet with the Lord our God is very important. And we went through many examples in the Old Testament of God calling His people to consecrate themselves either before they met with Him or before God would do a wondrous work on their behalf. And that word consecration, if you don't remember, the word consecration means that we go through a process as given by God to separate ourselves from all things but Him. We separate ourselves as holy. Remember we talked about the items in the temple itself were consecrated. All the things that were in the Holy of Holies, all the things that were in the most holy place, and so on, were consecrated for use of God alone, and so were the people. We even have examples in the Old Testament where before the people would come into the temple to worship and sacrifice, around the temple they had these, they called them the consecration, the cleansing pools. People would actually get into the pools to wash themselves. A sign of great cleansing, which is a prefiguration of our what? Baptism, right? Exactly. And so that's what we talked about last week, was consecrating ourselves. What we didn't talk about was how. And that's what today's lesson is about. How is it that we are to prepare ourselves to consecrate ourselves, each one of us, each living stone, to be with God and receive everything that He has to offer and to give Him the worship that is due His name? And so we start with this. We all know that we are called to a Eucharistic fast. Now, the regulation of the Eucharistic fast is that we are not to eat anything before Eucharist. Okay? Now, as you've always heard me say, there are people that medically cannot do this. The point is we do what we can. If you can keep the fast, keep it holy. But if taking medications or medical conditions under the advice of your priest and your doctors, you do what's right for your body coming before God. You do everything you can do when it comes to a fast. Okay? But let's remember this and ask ourselves a question. Why do we fast? 
Why does the church call us to fast? Not just Eucharistic fast, any fast. Why do we fast? To give something uh, to get our minds off our center, which is the belly. Mm-hmm. And, ourselves. And, you know, yeah, but I mean, you know, it's the center of the body. Right. Uh, so to me, that's symbolic of how it's different. And to get it. Uh, so we get our eyes fasting, gives us a way to get our eyes off of ourselves and our needs, and that is one of the purposes of the fast. It's what we do with that discomfort in the midst of it, which we're going to talk about in just a few minutes, okay? And I don't want to go too much into all the... But the idea behind fasting, one of which has been mentioned and, and is right, is we get our minds off of the material. But there's a second part of fasting too, and that is the value we place on material. We think we need so much... We think we need so much. And so many people in reality, in so many parts of this world, don't stick in their mouths one quarter of what we put in our tummies and survive, you see. So the other part of this is that we take our perceived needs and we begin to retune ourselves to the absolute truth that there's only one that can satisfy our entire needs, and it's not a full meal, and it's not a half meal, and it's not a quarter meal. The one who can fulfill all of our needs, satisfy us with everything that we need, is the Lord our God. We're shifting ourselves back appropriately before Him, and that is part of our preparation our consecration, separating ourselves, realizing who is our all in all, and getting ready to come and be with Him. Okay? But there's something that we always teach. In fact, tell you what, hang on to that one second. Let me get this. St. Basil the Great, let me read you what he says. St. Basil the Great says, As bodily food fattens the body, so fasting strengthens the soul. Imparting it an easy flight, it makes it able to ascend on high, to contemplate lofty things, and to put the heavenly higher than the pleasant and pleasurable things of this life. What ascent is he talking about? This ascent. Our ascent always to be unified with the Lord our God as He so desires so that He might share His life with us. St. Basil says fasting makes that easier, the ascension. Okay? In fasting and praying, God graces us to make that ascension. Okay? St. John Chrysostom says this about fasting. He says, when the fast makes its appearance... Like a kind of spiritual summer, let us as soldiers burnish our weapons and as harvesters sharpen our sickles and as sailors order our thoughts against the waves of extravagant desires and as travelers set out on a journey towards heaven. Lay hold of the pathway that leads towards heaven, rugged and narrow as it is, lay hold of it and journey on. Again, we have the idea that through fasting, the desires of the earth begin to pass, and we realize what our true desire ought to be, and that is that the treasure of all things in our life should be the Lord God Himself. Okay? 
That's the corrective. Met with the grace of God. It's not about not eating food. It's about cooperating with the activity of God. Yes, I lay aside food, but I receive grace and I move on. Now, something is to accompany fasting always. What is it? Prayer. We must be always in prayer as we fast, as part of that discipline, consecrating ourselves, preparing our souls to meet with God. Now, let's take a look at the handout that I handed out to you. Now, I've pulled some various prayers that I think could be very helpful to you. They're pulled from various Orthodox prayer books. Before we even go over the prayers, I've got to ask the question. How many of us on any particular Sunday, when we wake up in the morning, have a life that is filled with distractions sometimes? Anybody? Any takers? How many of us have lives sometimes filled with the anxiousness that we talked about this morning? Raise your hand. Of course we all have. How many of us do not raise your hands? Stop it, Sam. (laughs) How many of us spend good time in prayer before we come here on Sunday mornings? I will propose to you that part of the reason that we struggle so hard sometimes on those Sunday mornings is because we're not moving and gesturing towards God who will bring us the rest of the way. And so the reason I give you these prayers is to give you some ideas of various prayers for various circumstances, but they're all preparatory for our coming and meeting with God in the Mass. Let's take a look at some of them. First one. We all know this is the Jesus prayer. It should be the prayer of our lives, much less just on Sunday mornings. To prepare our hearts, go before an icon that hopefully you have in your house. If you've created a little bit of sacred space, it does not have to be a room full of icons. Set out space for prayer in your homes with an icon of our Lord and His Mother. That's all you need. You want to do more? Do more. That's fine but create some sacred space to set your focus on and trust the grace of God in that space and have me come and bless that space. Get before the icon of Christ. Kneel and pray the Jesus prayer as many times as you want, signing yourself with the cross. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. You know what that's producing in us before Mass? It's welling up within us the reality that's very true. We are in dire need of God and His mercy at all times. And we're coming to be with God and His people in heaven and on earth to receive that great gift from Him. It prepares our soul. So pray the Jesus prayer. How about the St. Michael prayer that we pray all the time after Mass and hopefully you're praying it in your homes when you're struggling and feel the enemy coming against you. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, thrust into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who wander the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Sometimes our distractions on Sunday mornings, or any morning, but on Sunday mornings since we're talking about Mass, sometimes they come from our own flesh, period. 
Don't kid yourself. But what our enemy does is he goes to the very weaknesses of our flesh and tweaks them and tweaks them and seeks to ruin the soul and sway the attention off of God, which is exactly where we have to do a little bit of battle, filled with grace and with the angels surrounding us. Or do you not remember, just as two weeks ago, I presented to you the realities of the Jacob's Ladder icon? Because this is a picture of what is going on spiritually over our soul at any given moment. And you can bet over the church when it comes together to encounter God and to do the heavenly eternal act of worship. You have the angels warring to protect. You have the demonic warring to tear us aside from God. And it is real and it is active. And so I suggest to you that you keep the prayer of St. Michael as a preparatory prayer even before you come. Here's a prayer for the spirit of prayer. Let's look at it. Almighty God who pourest out all uh, sorry, who pourest out on all who desire it the spirit of thy grace and of supplication, deliver us when we draw nigh to thee from coldness of heart, from wanderings of mind, that with steadfast thoughts and kindled affections we may worship Thee in spirit and in truth through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here is the very prayer against the distractions in our life. Lord, by Your Holy Spirit, turn my attention from coldness of heart if it's there, if I'm numbed, if I'm indifferent towards You because of all these distractions. Wanderings of mind. Help me to worship you. That's what that prayer is all about. Then there's a prayer for thanksgiving for the church on the back. O God, whose glory fills the skies, I laud and praise thy holy name for all the blessings brought to me and to all in thy holy church, especially for our own parish. I bless thee for the gifts of faith, knowledge, and of a whole mind, and for the grace of membership and the joy of fellowship. May the operation of thy sacraments knit us all to thee in grace, that we may be able without fear or hesitation to behold thy wonders in nature. What an incredible prayer. It's stirring up thanksgiving for our fellowship here for our eternal fellowship with the kingdom of God in heaven and earth, stirring up a zeal and a love for it and the God of all of it. And then it's even asking by the, by the sacraments, Lord, knit us so much more tightly together. I love that prayer. It's a wonderful focusing prayer. And you know, sometimes praise plays an incredibly big part in our overcoming distractions, overcoming pain, overcoming anxieties, if we will begin to pray. I want to offer you even a scriptural suggestion to do in prayer because of what I just said. And it's praying Psalm 42. Praying Psalm 42. Now, I haven't written it all out. I'm going to read it to you. Listen to King David. King David is in extreme turmoil. This is thought to be at the time where Saul is hunting him down to kill him. And David prays honestly before God, My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? 
And why are you so disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him for the help of His countenance. As with a breaking of my bones, listen to him, go back to it. My enemies reproach me while they say to me all day, all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down on my soul and why are you so disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Do you sense his wrestling? He's grappling with God. He is calling upon God, but more than anything, he's demanding that his own soul turn to God. I am struggling with this. I am struggling with that. Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. And he begins to praise him, you see. Praise, when touched by God, produces something incredible in our lives at any given moment. It overcomes darkness of mind it doesn't God does by grace but he overcomes darkness of mind lack of focus wandering mind Hmm? consider praying Psalm 42 before your icons if you're struggling in that way and we'll go over the prayer upon entering a church in just a minute because we're not there yet we're not there yet in the orthodox church We all agree and know that our salvation is manifest both by God's gift of grace and our cooperation with it. And so even our overcoming of all of these turmoil that we have on Sunday mornings. If we do nothing, nothing will be accomplished in us and for us. Our entire relationship with the Holy Trinity... We are invited into a cooperative, loving existence with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So if I'm wallowing in my self-pity or if I am distracted with kids fighting, I know that never happens in your house, or if I'm anything that's going on, woe to me if I just let it happen. And I don't bring God into my house. Not that He's not there. It's in my own focus. And I cast myself before Him. And I wrestle and I do these prayers. And I get before the icons. And I pray for all those distractions. But I allow God to actually be God in those moments. You see, it's then that my soul begins to become prepared to cast aside all earthly cares and by grace make the ascension to commune with Him and receive from Him and bring Him back to the world through me. Okay? So that is how we are to to prayerfully prepare and consecrate ourselves by fasting and praying before we come to meet with God. So what about we're on our way and we get here? Let's talk about preparing ourselves now that we're here. Preparation continues. It even continues in the first part of the Mass. So we arrive at church. What's the first room we come into in church? What do you see on all the walls of the narthex? Icons. Icons, relics, pictures of... of, yeah, we have the picture of our uh, Metropolitan, our Bishop, right? All of those things are on the walls. The Orthodox Church teaches us that when we enter into the church, 
We're to make the rounds and address ourselves to our brothers and sisters in Christ who are saints. When you visit one of the small seminaries, monasteries, excuse mm-hmm. me, in St. Louis, it's real small. And you go in and it's wall-to-wall icon mm-hmm. and relics. And my first visit, I felt really strange. Yeah. But everybody goes around and kisses every single thing. Yeah. And by the time I was finished, it was like visiting Aunt Susie and having to kiss her. Right. When you have the family all together. So I figured I right. can go around and kiss all the saints that are there. You got it. Kiss Saint Aunt Susie. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> this is the absolute reality. Do Think about this. The church teaches us, and intellectually we agree, that when we gather together for Mass... All heaven and earth are together. Your first taste of the eternal worship on heaven, in heaven, and on earth is by encountering those icons. Because St. Peter is not dead. Our Lord lives and reigns. His mother is interceding for us at all times. Hmm? So when we come into the narthex, we reverence the icons, and it, reverencing the icons means exactly how she described it, so perfectly. And you can do it a number of ways. You can give them a kiss. You can kiss the icons. You can cross yourself and bow. But address them. Because what's going to happen in that moment is you get the foretaste of the reality that there is no death in the kingdom of God and we're all one. And we are all going to the mountain on the last day, so to speak, at the marriage supper of the Lamb, to be with God. So it starts even as we enter the narthex. Give It, it is not, by the way, an Eastern Rite thing. Bite anybody's tongue that thinks that. It is an Orthodox thing to do. Our Western Rite churches do this all over. Okay? It's part of our preparation for Mass and joining with heaven and earth. So now we're ready to go from the narthex to enter into the nave. What is the first thing you see? Well, you don't see. You've got to look for it just to the right and to the left. What's the first thing on the inside of the walls that you see in the, in the nave? Holy water. Holy water. Right? Now, we talked about this two weeks ago before the bishop came, but we're going to address this again. What we are to do with this every time we enter or leave the church. But when we enter into the nave, we're to dip our thumb or finger in holy water with our three fingers, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We make the sign of the cross on our forehead. Do not rush this. Because you need to remember what's going on. And remember is the key word. You are remembering your baptism in that moment. And that word remember is the same remembrance we talk about with Eucharist. It is something that absolutely occurred in the past and that reality is able to be brought into the moment by the grace of God. Not rebaptism, a re-experience of the grace of God in your baptism that separated you, that washed your sins away, where God proclaimed over you, this is my son, this is my daughter in whom I am well pleased, and he made you a living stone by filling you with himself. And you look at that, you do the sign of the cross. With that in mind, stay there a moment and remember 
that you belong here because of your baptism. And you have been graced to offer up worship that is worthy to God. And you are a living stone, no matter all of your imperfections. You are a living stone that Christ desires to place with all other living stones to be made His temple for the heavenly worship of God. All of that in dipping a thumb in water. That's why it's there. Do it, but pause. Give God a moment to be with you. And I think you'll find that profound. I think you'll find that profound. So now that you've done that, we actually do have a prayer upon entering a church. This is a prayer that all Orthodox pray. It's in almost all of the Orthodox prayer books. And that prayer is, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy. And in thy fear, I will worship toward thy holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness because of mine enemies. Make thy way straight before me, that with a clear mind I may glorify thee forever. One divine power worshipped in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Are you starting to see in the calling of the church to prepare and consecrate at home, it continues here, that we constantly have a means of grace to prepare our soul for what we are about to do and for what we are about to receive from God. Ample opportunity. All offerings of God to us, should we take them? Okay? So we have done the holy water. We have, we have prayed our prayer upon entering a church. And we make our way now to the place where we're going to experience worship and take our place with all other living stones. As you walk to find your place, always be mindful of what's going on around you. You know, sometimes people come a little bit late in matins. And uh, yes, even here, some people come in, you know, in a little bit late for Mass. I'm always amazed at the miraculous event that occurs in just about every parish and ours, that as I ascend the altar and begin to pray, there's a multiplication of the people when I turn around. <laughs> it's such a blessing. God is at work right from the very beginning. <laughs> but we do come in late. Sometimes we come in late to Matins, sometimes a little bit late to Mass. Be mindful of what's going on around you. For exa- Let me just give you an example. If you're coming in at Matins and you hear Jesus' name mentioned, what do we do at the name of Jesus? Bow. Stop and bow. When you hear either said or sung, Father, Son, and glory be to the Father and to the Son, what do we do? Yeah, you're welcome to cross, but we stop and bow. We honor that, right? Be mindful because even though you're not seated yet, you're involved. You're in the place of worship, right? So be mindful of that as you make your way down. Then once you come to the place you intend to worship, if you can, genuflect and then be seated. If you can't genuflect, bow in reverence toward the altar. Bow in reverence toward the altar. Why do we genuflect or bow? Why might we do that? At the name of Christ, every knee shall bow. At the name of Christ, every knee shall bow. When I genuflect, when we genuflect, or when we bow to Christ, to God, (coughs) excuse me, 
It's a sign of admiration, and it is also a sign that I submit my life to the King of Kings. Humbly, I come before you in need of you, but I submit to you, Lord. The church is taught forever. We become in our lives, in our very real lives, we become that which we do. The genuflection is not a meaningless bending of the knee that just we're supposed to do. It's something that as touched by grace, I am saying with my whole being, Lord, I submit to you. And what that produces when touched by grace is when I leave here and God calls me to do something, you know, or I see something in my life that I know he's called me to do that I'm not doing, that I begin more readily, whatever you want, Lord. And I take on the posture of Mary who said, be it unto me as you will. Or the Lord Jesus Christ before his crucifixion. Not my will be done, thy will be done. The genuflection or the bow is an incredibly important thing that we do. Because something is changing in us by the transforming work and grace of God. If we'll be attentive to it. Again, every bit of this requires our cooperation. But I promise you this, you've heard me say this thousands of times. We give God an inch, what does He take? A mile. The smallest offering that we give Him, in the smallest of moments, no matter how meaningless we tend to be distracted and think it is, God honors with His unfathomable love, and He pours Himself into us, changing us and transforming us, you see. And that's where we're going to conclude today. It's so infinitely important that we do everything we can to prepare and consecrate ourselves to meet with God. And I promise you, if you will begin doing this, God will act on your behalf. You will have a different experience in the worship of heaven and earth. Perhaps your eyes will be open as they never have been that this truly is heaven and earth in this place. God wants to reveal Himself to us, to heal us, to offer Himself, and He wants us collectively to love on Him with our worship. There's that relationship, the body of Christ, together, the bride and the bridegroom. Next week, we actually begin into the Mass, but we're still going to find ourselves in the preparation stage through Asperges, the singing of praise of our hymn, the confidior prayers, the prayers before the altar. But we're going to begin very soon after learning what the ascent looks like, and we're going to start breaking down the entire liturgy. I'm going to have printed out for, I'm probably going to make 60, 70 copies of the Mass that we're going to have here. We're going to leave them here, okay? so that everybody doesn't take them home. We don't have enough. I have to keep making copies throughout the study. But we're going to be going through the Mass, learning what, why, what God is doing, what we're to do, and how it transforms us. Let's stand.